This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Fed Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Welcome to the show. Last year's so-called Inflation Reduction Act made big changes in Medicare Part D, so much so that federal retirees may want to take a look. For a long time, federal employee health benefit plans had better drug coverage, but that might not be the case anymore. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman joins me as we get details from the editor of Health Plans for the Consumer's Checkbook, Kevin Moss. Kevin, good to have you back. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. So what is going on, first of all, in Medicare Part D, and I think this is kind of an overlooked aspect of the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so this was passed last August, and already there's some changes that are out there. The first is uh, the price of insulin is no more than $35 a month. Now, uh, that started actually in January. Now, not all brands of insulin have to be covered by a Part D plan, but they all have to cover each dosage form, either vial or pen, and they have to cover all insulin types, rapid acting, short acting, intermediate acting, and long acting. So $35 a month, no more than that uh, for insulin. So folks who take insulin, uh, this is, uh, you know, sort of welcome news. Understand that there are, there are some FEHB plans this year that had uh, $35 insulin in place. Blue Cross Standard, for example, had this. Um, and in fact, in some cases, depending upon the type of insulin that you might take, there might be some other FEHB plans that, that do a good job with that uh, as well. So uh, it may, this particular provision may help you, it may not. Our advice is always make sure you're comparing your existing FEHB plan with what's available in a Part D plan. And watch so, your sugar in the meantime. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think that's advice for all of us there, Tom. Uh, so, and there's two other things that are happening within the next year. First is, you know, this is uh, kind of complicated how Part D uh, works. There's actually four different coverage stages of a part of Part D coverage. So there's generally a deductible with a Part D plan. Before you meet the deductible, enrollees pay 100% of everything. And then once you meet your deductible, you'll pay pretty much 25% of the charges. The Part D plan is going to pay 75% until you reach $4,660 in spending in a given year. At that point, you're in what's called the coverage gap. You will still pay 25% in the coverage gap, but the other 75% uh, is split between the Part D plan and drug manufacturers. And if total spending ever reaches $7,400, you still have to pay 5% of, of, of all charges when you're in what's called catastrophic coverage. Um, in 2024, that catastrophic coverage uh, uh, co-insurance co amount is going away. So if you ever get to catastrophic coverage, that part will be going away. And then one final part in 2024 through 2030, there are provisions in this legislation where Part D plans cannot increase their premiums more than 6%. Um, and so, you know, if you're thinking, well, will these enhanced Part D uh, benefits, the Part D plans, 
you know, maybe jacking premiums. No, there's protections that will protect people in those plans that the premiums will not increase more than 6%, which is pretty good because last year, Part D premiums increased 10%. Wow. And there's one big one, Tom, <laughs> and this is the big one. This is what makes it really important, but you have, you're going to have to wait another year for this. It's an out-of-pocket spending cap of $2,000. No more than $2,000 in 2025 with any Part D plan. And there's going to be some mechanism that hasn't been announced yet and exactly how it will work, but some mechanism where the $2,000 can be spread out over the course of 12 months, which basically means no one will be, ever be paying more than you know $170 or so any month on out-of-pocket prescription drugs. So any annuitants that have you know average to high prescription drug costs, they need expensive brand drugs or specialty drugs to treat you know a condition or 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 otherwise. This will be a really big deal um, that that out-of-pocket spending cap is in place because it's so much lower than the catastrophic uh, you know protection that you have in an FEHB plan. Uh, that can range anywhere from fifteen hundred to ninety-one hundred dollars. Uh, for self-only enrollment using in-network providers. So this $2,000 out-of-pocket spending cap in 2025 is the real big one that I think, you know, will be a, a game changer. Kevin, thanks so much for being here. And, you know, these changes are really significant. And typically or historically, OPM has not really encouraged enrollees to purchase a Part D plan. How significant are these changes in, in changing what OPM is saying about Medicare Part D. Yeah, pretty <laughs> pretty significant actually. You know, we don't want to speculate too much, but every year OPM puts out a carrier letter where they outline the goals of the next um, you know, open season and the next plan year. OPM released their a couple of carrier letters within the last month that tells us, you know, kind of what uh, you know, annuitants should expect. So to sign up for Part D, there's there's going to be two different ways that you actually can get Part D coverage. The first one that we'll talk about is Medicare Advantage. So Medicare Advantage is Part C, and you have to be enrolled in Medicare Parts A and Part B to enroll in Medicare Advantage. But Medicare Advantage plans also bundle in Part D coverage. For the last few years, about the last you know four or five years, FEHB plans have been allowed to offer Medicare Advantage plans to annuitants. These Medicare Advantage plans have been tremendous uh, cost-saving uh, plans for annuitants. In fact, you know, for almost every federal annuitant, an FEHB Medicare Advantage plan will be the lowest cost option for you. And Kevin, why is that? Why would that be the lowest option? It's because they uh, reduce or in some cases entirely eliminate the Part B premium. And many of them have zero out-of-pocket spending if you go to a provider that accepts Medicare, except for prescription drugs. But guess what? Now, in the next couple of years, what you'll have to pay out-of-pocket for prescription drugs is going to be far less. Um, and so the value of these Medicare Advantage plans is going to be even greater and the OPM carrier letter is they are actually encouraging uh, carriers to offer more of these FEHB Medicare Advantage plans. And to just give you 
one example of how much savings is in place here for federal annuitants. This year, if a couple who lived in D.C. Uh, that had income below the IRMA threshold, which is the high income threshold where you have to pay more for Part uh, B, uh, and the age of the primary insured was 70, if you switch from Blue Cross Standard to United Choice Primary Retiree Advantage, you would save almost $8,000 in estimated yearly costs by making that switch. So there's massive savings with these FEHB Medicare Advantage plans. There's going to be more of them in the future, and the coverage is going to be even better because of these Part D sure. changes. So just to clarify then, what OPM is saying is encouraging the FEHB plan offerers to incorporate these new Part D provisions into their Medicare Advantage offerings. There's sort of a market mechanism from the greater public that might be on Part D to migrate that to the FEHB Advantage plans that incorporate Part D. Yeah, I think OPM really wants annuitants to benefit from these Part D changes. And the the two delivery mechanisms right now are joining one of these Medicare Advantage plans or signing up for supplemental Part D uh, coverage. And the existing uh, you know method that's in place are these FPHB Medicare Advantage plans. Because they bundle Part D, it means that when you join one of them, you are getting the 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 Part D benefit upgrades as a result of that bundling of Part D coverage. And so the other option is supplemental Part D. And a very interesting thing that we've never seen before that uh, OPM is now allowing is FEHB carriers to offer a prescription drug plan as supplemental coverage to your FEHB plan. They say that this prescription drug plan must be as good or better than your existing prescription drug coverage. That sounds like boilerplate. Is there real importance to that language? And that's very important, that language, because what it means is that in order for that language to be true, it means that there will be no extra premium for you to get that supplemental Part D coverage, because it wouldn't be as good or better <laughs> if you had to pay an extra premium for it. But the thing to, to be mindful of is that there's a provision in here that some FEHB plans might auto-enroll their plan members into this. If they see that you're on Medicare, they may auto-enroll you in one of these plans. And we don't yet know how the plans will be communicating this to their plan members, if any are allowed to actually do this by OPM. And there's one, there's, and there's one thing where you may not want it. Now, OPM says that you can opt out of this if you don't want it, but for anyone who is subject to IRMA, which is the income-related monthly adjustment amounts, uh, say that five times fast, Tom, uh, which means if you're <laughs> you said high it, income, You said it once slowly, perfectly. Okay. If you're high income, you pay a higher Part B premium, but IRMA also applies to Part D. So you will pay a higher Part B premium if you're subject to IRMA. You'll pay a higher Part D premium if you're subject to IRMA. And so uh, an enrollee may not want this extra Part D plan if they have to pay this IRMA penalty on top of that coverage. And so, you know, we don't yet know how many plans will do this. We don't know if any will if plans will be allowed to auto-enroll. The plans have to go back to OPM and tell them how it will work and how they will do this, and OPM will have to sign off on it. And so we'll just have to wait and see, but it's something that everyone uh, you know, needs to be paying attention to as we get closer to this fall. 
Our guest is Kevin Moss, editor of Health Plans for Consumers Checkbook. We'll return with more of the interview after the short break. I'm Tom Temin. Welcome back to FedLife. I'm Tom Temin in studio with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. We are speaking with Kevin Moss, editor of Health Plans for Consumers Checkbook, about changes in Medicare Part D and how they might affect federal employees' health plans. And Kevin, we're still quite far away from this November when we have open season. What should enrollees be paying attention to right now and what might they see in terms of a timeline for actually getting some of these things? Well, I think that if these prescription drug plans come to fruition and and the plans are allowed to offer them, and especially if OPM allows auto enrollment, I don't think that <laughs> the carriers will be able to wait until the beginning of open season to to communicate this to their members, um, right? Because there'll be this thirty day period then, or sometimes uh, you know even a less than thirty days for members to actually go and to make changes or to compare their options. And so I think that the carriers will probably be communicating before the start of, of open season. I think mostly what, what folks should start considering um, is, you know, thinking about what their prescription drug usage is, um, you know, making sure that already that they're in an FEHB plan that covers those drugs well, to keep in mind that these changes are coming down the line and that how they're going to get prescription drug coverage in the future may look quite a bit different. And Kevin, what should people start to do right now that they can think about getting those benefits? I think a, a little bit of homework right now that, that might be helpful is take a look at some of the FEHB Medicare Advantage plans that are out there already. You know, you can go and look at an Advantage is one that's available nationwide in the D.C. area. Kaiser offers these plans as well as United. Take a look at how they work. Take a look at, you know, their provider networks to make sure that, you know, providers are the providers that you would use are offered by these plans and 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 really consider whether one of these plans could save you quite a bit of money. Now, the FEHB Medicare Advantage plans aren't going to be right for everyone. If you're subject to Irma and have to pay those higher Part B premiums, the financial value of them is going to be eroded some. Uh, you get hit twice with Irma with Part B and Part D. If you spend a lot of time overseas, um, outside of the emergency overseas care that every FEHB plan provides, so if you step off a cruise ship in the Bahamas and break your leg, all FEHB plans are going to cover that. But if you spend six months in Spain and need regular, uh, you know, overseas health care, only United Healthcare uh, offers o routine overseas care from the FEHB Medicare Advantage plans. And finally, there are some cases where the provider networks may be limited in some of these Medicare Advantage plans. There are a handful of cases where um, a particular network was not in, in one of these FEHB Medicare Advantage plans. So always make sure that the doctors and hospitals and other facilities that you would need are going to be covered in one of them. And Kevin, we also just saw OPM send its letter to carriers. This is an annual letter where they go over some different goals and requirements for carriers ahead of open season. And 
there are new requirements specifically for infertility treatments. Can you go over the difference between what is going to be required and what is still not required from carriers? Yeah, sure. First of all, just kind of to set the table, in, uh, fertility benefits has been one of the things that a lot of FEHB plans haven't provided much for uh, both this year and in, and in previous years. There are 20 states that mandate um, some form of fertility coverage uh, across the country. And it's a mixed bag of what those mandates actually are. But for any HMO plans offered in the FEHB system, that would, that would, that was the biggest reason of those, why those fertility benefits were actually present in an FEHB plan outside of those plans offered in those states. Fertility benefits were very rare uh, to be found in FEHB plans, and this is incredibly expensive stuff for families, uh, you know, that need fertility services. So, yes, the carrier call letter now requires that carriers provide coverage for two forms of artificial insemination, requires carriers to cover the drugs associated with uh, those artificial insemination procedures and requires carriers to cover at least three cycles of IVF-related drugs. Do you think this solves the cost problem for parents or would-be parents that are most affected by lack of infertility coverage until now? So this is a big step in the right direction, but keep in mind that you know, families that need fertility coverage are still going to have a lot of out-of-pocket expenses. You know, uh, OPM in their in their carrier letter indicates that a cost of one IVF cycle can range anywhere from fifteen thousand to thirty thousand, and the fertility drugs only account for about thirty-five percent of that total cost. Things that are missing um, from from these uh, requirements from OPM are you know several assisted reproductive technology procedures such as in vitro fertilization um, at being the big one also the cost of donor sperm donor eggs the donor embryo or any cryopreservation these are all costs associated with fertility services that you know families will still have to pay entirely out of pocket for and so next year though, there is going to be more coverage. I think you'll want to look for FEHB plans that, you know, that the way that you pay for this works for you, especially you want to look to make sure that any uh, providers that you currently use are going to be in network. You may prefer paying, for example, fixed co-payments over co-insurance. Some plans will offer these benefits as fixed co-payments. Others will be co-insurance. You'll need to take that into consideration. And then you'll want to, you know, take advantage of the ways to save a little bit of money on what you'll still be paying out of pocket. So two ways for that. One, flexible spending uh, account, you know, up to $3,050 you can set aside for qualified healthcare expenses. These fertility services would, would qualify as that. Or consider a high deductible health plan that has an HSA where you can contribute up to, a family could contribute up to $7,750 as a way to save a little bit of money on what you'll still be facing out of pocket. And Kevin, other than all of these infertility treatments that are being included, there were a ton of other things that OPM covered in this letter, maternal health, gender affirming care and services. Can you go through any big changes there that enrollees might see coming up? I think it's, you know, some of those are sort of less clear how they will, you know, impact the benefits and the coverage that FEHB plans are already 
providing. Uh, to me, they're just continue, uh, you know, continuing on policy initiatives that that OPM has been encouraging plans, you know, to to cover. You know, there's also the prevention and treatment of obesity. There wasn't anything specific on those that I that I picked out that I thought were really, you know, big changes to what FEHB plans are already providing. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, again, for, for taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure, Drew. Kevin, we should call you the Encyclopedia Moss, is editor of Health Plans for Consumers Checkbook. Thanks so much for that great insight. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Drew. And we'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash fedlife. And before we close this week's show, here's an excerpt from an interview I had with Maryland Senator Chris Van Hollen on the federal pay hike proposals now before Congress. Well, I'm a supporter of the the FAIR Act. Uh, I think that uh, it's really important that, you know, federal employees um, are are paid um, at at their at their full value. And and that would mean the greater amount. Um, At the same time, I think that uh, the increase that uh, President Biden and the Biden administration um, have put forward, uh, 5.2%, is a really important uh, step in in the right direction. Uh, So we'll be working, uh, you know, to try to uh, bump that up. uh, But uh, the way it works is that unless Congress uh, substitutes its uh, judgment, uh, on the pay increase, the president's proposal uh, will prevail. And I, I think that in this case, um, I think Republicans in the Congress are going to be very reluctant and resistant uh, to increasing it above 5.2%. Uh, we're going to work to encourage them to do that. Uh, but at least this is a, a uh, very respectable place uh, to be, this meaning what, what President uh, Biden has proposed. And 5.2% across the board is better than 4.7 for base and 4. Point, and whatever it was, half for base salary, half for locality pay. The net is greater with 52 across the board than 8.7 divided in half. I did well, the math. Well, that's exactly right. So what, what again, what, what the president's put forward, I think, is a, a very respectable uh, proposal. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we will I will oppose any effort by you know, Republicans in Congress to to roll that back um, as we move through the process. Maryland Senator Chris Van Hollen will air the interview in its entirety Friday morning on the Federal Drive with Tom Temin starting at 6 a.m. That's it for FedLife. Email us with your thoughts and we'll see you next week. I'm Tom Temin. Thanks for listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search FedLife.